Welcome to Packet Pushes, the greatest ever data networking podcast published several times per month because too much networking would never be enough. Today, we are once again located in our sumptuous virtual office suite with an endless supply of coffee, virtual donuts, and virtual conversation to keep you virtually energized during even more discussion around software-defined networking in our ever more virtualized lives. Is that enough virtualization? Perhaps, perhaps not. The networking industry has moved through its early phase of software-defined networking, and most people realize that SDN is the long-term future for networking in all its glorious, mystical, and ever-emergent forms. Denial is over, and we are well into an acceptance, and most people have moved into the research phase, certainly at the higher ends. Now, I know that many of you are still struggling to cope with what you have and the pain of the current generation of technology, but while you are fighting the battle with swords and some nice set of gleaming shiny armor, maybe talking to a salesman about pistols and muskets is a better answer. Today, we are sponsored by VMware NSX, and we're going to be talking some more about network virtualization. So let's welcome to the show today, Martin Casado. Hi, Martin. Please tell people a little about yourself. Sure. So I just want to say that I am physically very happy to be here. <laughs> and uh, virtually in multiple places. At work. <laughs> and I'm, vir I'm virtually present and physically delighted. So, yeah, my name is Martin. I uh, run the networking and security business unit um, here at VMware. And I came to VMware through the acquisition of a company called Nasira about three and a half years ago. Um, and at Nasira, I was one of the co-founders and the CTO. Welcome back. And also with us from Packet Push today is myself, Greg Farrow, Ethan Banks, and Drew Conry-Murray. So if you hear us pipe up, we'll uh, be asking questions. Just we're all here as normal. Now, this year, we've recorded three other shows uh, with VMware NSX, three sponsored shows, where we looked at different aspects of NSX. So let's recap that quickly. In show 60, Priority Q show 67, we talked about how... NSX is more than just virtualization, it's about containers and the security story with Guido Appenzeller. In show 56, we talked about what happened in NSX.2 launch and how the product got polished and stabilized, and there was a whole bunch of technology changes in there. And in show 161, the weekly show, we had Brad Hedlund and Scott Lowe on, looking at practical day-to-day -day issues around NSX, distributed layer 3 routing, load balancing, the perimeter firewalling story, and how we're shifting away from monitoring networks at an IP level to a service-oriented network around the metadata that's available in the VMware ecosystem. So today, we've talked about SDN technology plenty over the last few years, but what we want to focus is a bit more on the business and the human aspects of NSX uh, and focus more on where we are now and maybe look a little bit back into 2015 and then where we're going to go in 2016. So, Martin, the journey for SDN has been a bumpy year. This is your first full year as, as head of the NSXBU? This is my first full year as GM, correct, yeah. And how's that been? I mean, that must be a real... Uh, so it seems like just a few years ago, three or four years ago, we were recorded shows with you talking about OpenFlow, and now you're the head of a big <laughs> business unit at a big company. Is that been I, I got to tell you, I mean, this whole journey has just been so fantastic. I mean, I, I've been doing this now for, boy, this is just, I think this year marks my decade year working in kind of SDN from, you know, when we started at, at Stanford. And so when you see an idea go from basically, you know, super science fiction that even academics think is a little out there to a large business and kind of seeing all stages of that adoption has been really um, pretty amazing. Um, and honestly, like, you know, this is largely due to 
you know, the work of a lot of really bright, really talented, really hardworking people. And so I've just been surrounded by these amazing people and they've accomplished this amazing stuff. And so it's kind of fun to be here now as a GM talking to you. I mean, you and I have been talking for years and talking about like how far we've come and where we think we're going. I was thinking to myself today that it's not very often you see a story of someone who invented a concept like you did 10 years ago or so, and then you've taken it right the way from research to PhD to implementation to actually running a billion-dollar business unit out of it. Yeah, you know, and it's been, um, I mean, in, in every stage, you know, it's kind of interesting. Like, I mean, I have been doing this for 10 years, which seems like a long time to be doing any one thing. But the reality is, is every stage has been so fundamentally different from the research phase to the early startup phase. I mean, you know, early on in a startup, you know, you've got a dream and an amazing group and, and, and that's it. And then now, I mean, it's so fun to like, look at like what is happening with this technology in practice and like things like major cultural events that it's enabling and so forth. And so, yeah, it has been kind of a great journey. And I I do think it's fun to to see how different every stage has been. Perhaps the most interesting part here is how that's transformed the industry. If you look at networking, just three or four years ago, it was all about IP routing, speeds and feeds and port density. And now we're actually talking about analytics and big data and how we can implement changes in minutes instead of hours. That's a massive transition in a short period of time. Yeah, boy. I mean, if you compare the conversations that, you know, we're going on on this topic, you know, seven, eight years ago, or even, boy, five years ago compared to today. Five I mean, years ago, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like when we were talking five years ago, people were still trying to understand, you know, is this going to have a change in the way people think and talk about networks? Is there going to be an evolution in the technology? And now the majority of the conversations are, you know, how does this impact an organization? Because we know it's coming. <laughs> you know, like uh, <laughs> what are the what are the business benefits? Because we know we're going to do it. Now we need to make a business case type things. And so it's it's, it's this kind of a, this acceptance, and now this kind of very productive forward thinking. Where before I felt like so much of it was just trying to even just understand the basic concepts and and then you know somewhat of a prediction of, of are, are they gonna are they gonna be realized i was thinking you know there was a three or four years ago i can remember having discussions with people and they can take the cli from my cold dead hands yeah and i think in 2015 <laughs> yeah, we sure did <laughs> <That's all. laughs> Uh, I I just give you a bit of a story. I was uh, chatting to a person from a large financial institution today, and he was talking about his SDN implementation, and he he was telling people he's actually deployed it now for over six months, and there's actually a significant number of his networking team that actually has no awareness that an SDN solution exists over the top of their physical network. They don't even know. Yeah, which is, yeah. Yeah, so this is actually very common in in general and um, and I, I think that you know this is kind of where SDN also meets network virtualization where you know SDN in kind of certainly my vernacular is a way of thinking about re-architecting networks at a very high level you know generalized data plane decoupled control plane so you turn it into a distributed systems problem you know etc you know and network virtualization is basically saying we're going to implement networking very similar to compute virtualization. So mm-hmm. now you've got network abstractions, and those network abstractions look like physical networks. You know, mm-hmm. you can create them dynamically and you know grow them and shrink them and move them around, but they look just like you know physical. 
And if you have this, now you can run an entire cloud, for example, the same way you, you, you manage a single VM. So it's got this, yeah. this huge operational impact. Uh, but the VM has, cares about the CPU and the memory. It doesn't prevent you from moving the VM from one machine to another. Overlay networking and network virtualization in all its glorious forms says this switch is not the critical point anymore. It's the path. There are multiple switches or multiple routers in the path, and the path can be independent of the actual technology that's deployed physically. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's kind of interesting, uh, you know, three, four years ago, you were creating these VMs that were these totally virtualized entities, and then you were basically plugging them into a physical network. And so even though the VM itself could be managed, you know, with the operational lifecycle of virtualization, you know, from a network perspective, you couldn't. And so what's happened over time, and in particular things like NSX, is you know, networking has been consumed into software on the edge. And now you can run, you know, traditional, you know, network service models and services fully within software at the edge. And whether or not that's exposed to, you know, the networking side is more an organizational question, whether it's more, you know, how do you draw your lines organizationally and less a technology question. And so it's quite often that full deployments and network virtualization happen and are only consumed by, for example, the cloud guys. The point here is that network virtualization is really hitting the mainstream. It's no longer something that's next year or two years out. It's actually here now for most people, or most people are aware of it and beginning that planning process. Yeah. And, you know, we're coming out of kind of the VM world mania, which kind of consumes about a month of every year. And, you know, I was thinking about it. I was, you know, doing the, you know, I was on the, the main stage keynote in Barcelona and San Francisco this year, and I was kind of reflecting how far the we've come and how much the world has changed in one year. And so if you just think back one year, right? So, I mean, NSX has roughly been on the market for, you know, two and a half years or so. One year ago, we were very happy to have had, you know, 150 customers, a handful of production deployments, but, you know, we we couldn't really point as much to, you know, here is a significant cultural event that NSX helped or so forth. I mean, you're still very much in the evolution. And now you just go one year ahead. I mean, in VMworld alone, you know, every major, I think we had 35 you know, NSX customers presenting in some way there, you know, we're approaching a thousand customers. You know, mm-hmm. right now we have over 200 production customers. And these are like, you know, qualified production customers. And But not only that, we're like, okay, but NSX also underlined, you know, big significant workloads. Like uh, we had Tribune Media say, oh, uh, we've moved 140 applications on it in, I think it was something like five months or something. I mean, it's, um, you know, some short amount of time. Uh, DirecTV talked about how the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, which is the number one pay-per-view streaming event, you know, in the history of mankind, was aided by NSX. And so, I mean, the amount of traction you've seen happen over the last years has just been so great. And I, I think the reason is, is that people have kind of accepted this as the right kind of operational way of doing mm. networking in independent of, of how it's being consumed. And now it's mostly about, you know, how do you adopt it within the organization? And again, uniquely NSX and VMware, you know, ESX and the, the whole thing, that that tie-up is also key. A lot of companies have standardized around the ESX platform, and NSX is a very natural complement to that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what's interesting about that is, I mean, ESX has impressed on the industry a certain way of operating your infrastructure. I mean, you expect uh, your infrastructure to be virtualized, soft state that you can manage dynamically and even kind of wrap programs around to manage because now you've got virtualized instances of these things. And so it's just such a natural extension to say, we do this with a compute. Now you can do it on the network. And not only that, 
there's already you know a technical insertion point, which is from the perspective of a customer, this is a software upgrade. And so, I mean, often the the journey to adopting things like NSX is very simple. You know, a customer saying, "Listen, this is something we think there's a lot of value in. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and and we're going to purchase NSX and we're going to install it and not use it." <laughs> so the bits are installed, it's there, and they're getting zero value from it because they're not using it. But then what they do is they incrementally turn things on based on business needs. You know, yeah. we'll add firewalling at the edge here. We'll throw one application on a virtual network there. So there's this very kind of you know incremental way that this can be tried and adopted. And I think that's really kind of eased a lot of the concerns of, oh, is this going to be disruptive overnight? You know, what are the big changes or so forth? I mean, the reality is, is you can only use very limited features to understand the technology and then use more over time. I personally think it's more of a bandwidth problem. Most enterprises were very time constrained. It's very difficult to you know, take time out to bring on a, such a, a radical change as SDN often brings. And being able to incrementally deploy these technologies is often a bit easier on the budget and the project planning than it is to sort of, like as you say, bring it in piece by piece than it is to try and pave over the entire data center and start Again, you know, there's two ways to approach it, and that gap is often very difficult to, to straddle. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and the good thing is, like, it doesn't require a flag day. You're not like, okay, for these three hours, things are down. And there's no kind of ripping and replacing of hardware. It really is a software-based thing. And so, I mean, I think broadly, you know, looking back, and like, there's been a great amount of traction. I mean, I think that, you know, the only reason you see traction like this is because I think there's an understanding that, you know, that there's general business value in adopting these technologies. But I think that the rate of it is largely explained by how easy it is to consume, which is, I think you can have, to your point, all the business value in the world, but if it's going to be majorly disruptive to adopt, I think that's going to kind of slow down the pace. But we've been very, very happy with the growth of NSX. And, and for me, I mean, I'm just thrilled. Um, <laughs> I, 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 seriously, and, and I, I got to say, like, I think that, you know, the entire team working on it should be very, very proud of all the work that they've done to get to where we are now. Because, I mean, from every aspect, from sales to product management to engineering, this has just been dealing with massive growth. And I think that we've uh, managed to deal with that very well. Okay, let me go off script here a little bit. One of the other sure. things I like about NSX a little bit is the contributions you've made to open source in the, you know, you haven't just walked away from open vSwitch, you're participating in the ITF in various areas. So it's not just a case of getting out there, shipping product and getting money through the door. You've still managed to keep the heart of NSX in the open source community and contributing back. Yeah. And so this is a, this is a very personal thing with me. Um, you know, I, I think that it's important to, to have a sustainable product that helps customers and build a sustainable business out of that. I think that's how you enact a lot of change. But at the same time, I do think there's an architectural shift going on. And I think in general, the technology needs to move here. And, you know, I committed to helping that, you know, eight years ago when we started Open vSwitch and we started our efforts here. And, you know, I've actually increased funding on them, not decreased. And so whether it's Open vSwitch, which is a contribution to the networking layer in OpenStack, whether it's the policy layer of Congress or it's, you know, the tunneling protocol work we do, like all of that work is still undergoing and it's going to continue to do because I, I, I personally do believe this is the right way to do networking. It's the right evolution for the industry. And so I'm very incented to help you know the entire it, it move in that direction more broadly as well as make a business so that we can build you know supportable maintainable products for customers particularly the congress story is one that i am interested in tracking we did a show in two, 203 yeah. probably more than a year ago where we talked about uh congress with yeah. uh mr heinrichs yeah that's right. tim heinrichs and we tried to explain policy networking and we, I sort of came away from that thinking policy based networking is a is a longer term thing and yet I think I can see closer now this idea is instead of saying click this configure that this very deterministic 
I'm starting to come around to this much more elastic, casual way of saying, just connect these two together and work it out for me, will you? And that's fundamentally the, you know, where we're evolving to. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I, I think we've actually seen rapid advances in the industry around policy. I mean, there's been a number of efforts. I think actually Cisco's got a great one uh, uh, on their group-based policy um, work that they're doing. Congress is another effort with an open stack that tries to unify these things together. And I, I think here's the great thing, which is from the business's perspective, IT is supposed to carry out some set of functions, you know, and do it while complying to, you know, legal uh, regulations or security policy or whatever it is. And these are set up by the business, right? If a security guy, a security guy often isn't a technologist or like, you know, I want to make sure that these people can or cannot talk to something else or data stays here or there. So the rules come from this non-technical domain from human beings. And somehow you've got to take these high level business rules and then feed them into IT. The great news is once you virtualized all of your IT assets, it's quite possible to build a language that can take business rules and then enact it globally, which we've never been able to do before. Before, you'd have to translate it into IP addresses, and it was this kind of really complicated manual management process. But now we can automate anything. And so yeah. what, these pol- yeah. what these policy layers let you do is it lets the business declare things at a business level, and then it will consume that in a high-level digestible format and implement it throughout the system. And I've actually been, even Congress alone, I've been really pleased with, you know, there are a number of big customers that are using it. I mean, and this is not something that, you know, VMware, you know, sells. It's yes. just from within OpenStack, you know, a number of people have adopted, contributed, and are using it because they do see that, you know, first you virtualize everything, and then you put a policy layer on top of it, and you've got basically business that, or IT that follows the business needs. So this evolves into the discussion around micro-segmentation. Now, a couple of years ago, I remember chatting to you, I couldn't tell you exactly where, and you said that the most popular use case for NSX was micro-segmentation. And I was sort of shaking my head a little bit about that, and I was thinking of all the other great things, you know, overlays and abstraction away, and then you said, no, what customers are looking for is this micro-segmentation thing. And you've really continued to run with that message. Is that still critical to customers, or are we moving on past that now? Yeah, so I, uh, this is actually one of, I think, the most interesting aspects of the last year is understanding what customers want and what they deploy. So I think if there's one high-order bit I'd like to get across, which is if you look across you know, our you know, hundreds of production deployments, the vast majority of customers use NSX in overlay mode and both for micro-segmentation, which is firewalling of east-west traffic, and for automation, which is automating the provisioning and deploying of sub. So the majority of users use it for these two use cases. However, if you look at the sales motion, it turns out that the micro-segmentation sale tends to be, well, it's about even split with automation. So at the time you and I spoke, it was a smaller one, and it was growing faster than the automation use case, and it seems to have leveled off at about the same level of importance. So customers, 50% of the time, let's say, I say about 40% of the time, they'll buy it for the security use case, and 40% yeah. of the time, they'll buy it for automation. But independent, independent of why they bought it, they tend to use all aspects of the system. And so I think that the reason that micro-segmentation, which is a very important use case, has taken off is it's actually, I think, much easier for a sales guy to articulate the benefits of you know, securing east-west traffic than it is to talk more about operational efficiencies that you get through automation. But I think the customer need, and by the way, we validated this with independent surveys, the customer need is for both of these. Okay, let's look ahead into 2016. We're getting to the close of 2015, and as my old boss used to tell me when my sales 
sales forecast didn't turn up to the numbers that he was expecting. Don't tell me what you did for me yesterday, Greg. Tell me what you're going to do for me tomorrow. So, uh, <laughs> so we know network virtualization a thing. It's playing out like server virtualization. In fact, the parallels between server virtualization and network virtualization are strikingly similar in my, and the business goals and the business targeting is strike thing. So in the initial phase of server virtualization, it looked like it was a zero-sum game, but it actually turned out to be a growth market for everybody in that the more VMs you deployed, the more servers you sold, the more operating systems you sold or deployed, and, and it was a growth thing there. Is that the same sort of thing in networking, do you think? Yeah, so I think the similarities with compute virtualization are actually pretty staggering. So you know, one thing that we've learned is network virtualization appears to be about as general as compute virtualization. So you know, if a customer is using compute virtualization, the, the chances are you know, greater than 70% that they're looking at network virtualization as well. And this is not confined or biased to any vertical or any customer size. I mean, it's across the board, small, large, all verticals. And I think also we're seeing the adoption patterns and the impact and the ecosystem being very similar to what happened in compute virtualization, which is early on, nobody was sure what the overlaps are going to be, the impact on the existing ecosystem, the impact on L4 through 7 service, etc. But what mm. we're seeing is that uh, there's a lot more technology being consumed and used in a lot more interesting ways. And so I think there's a lot of net value being created. We see a lot of, you know, just to talk um, about L4 through 7 services, we see a lot of L4 through 7 services made by, you know, best breed vendors, like for example, Palo Alto Networks, which is a great partner of ours, get sold into these environments and get to apply to traffic that's traditionally been difficult to get access to, like east-west traffic. And we see actually you know, great adoption in traditional switches as well. And so I think that what's happening is this is actually allowing IT to run a lot more efficiently, run more of the business, and therefore provide more value to the business and become, uh, again, an additional investment area. So I absolutely don't think this is a zero-sum game. I think there's two things here. One is uh, server virtualization removed a lot of friction in not just like one place, in dozens of places. It made deploying images easier. You know, like before, in simplest things, who can remember opening the CD-ROM and putting in a pre-burnt image on a CD to deploy it to a server? Well, yeah. nowadays it's almost... <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the amount of friction that you reduce if you don't have to go down to the data center to boot a server is just, you know, there's big money uh, cut out of the deal. And that has been key to server virtualization. And I think we're still starting to come to grips with that in network virtualization by reducing the friction. If I don't have to manipulate the physical routing tables in my devices to make a change to the network, then all of a sudden the whole mathematics, you know, the financial math around network operations just changes in a completely different way. So almost the very first thing is we forget friction in networking is very real. There's a cost to every change. Yeah, and, I, and what I think is exciting about this is the more IT and networking is flexible the more it can be applied to different aspects of the business. I mean, you know, another one of the big shocking things that, that in, in, in aha moments I've had in the last year is if you look at the customers that are adopting NSX, they're in these like often these very highly regulated mission critical type scenarios. We have you know great representation in like power grids and utility companies and the federal space and the financial space and manufacturing and airlines. And, uh, and if you look at they're using it, I mean, they're applying it in very sophisticated ways. Um, and so this, to me, means there's a lot of opportunity for everybody, the hardware companies, the software companies, to you know, improve IT so it can drive more of the business and be relevant to more of the business. So ultimately, I think that we're broadening the pie. 
Martin, kind of jumping off of that, there's another uh, interesting question here. It, media has made a big deal about NSX versus uh, Cisco ACI and tried to pit them as competitors. And yet, you know, back in early days when uh, we were analyzing the two products on uh, packet pushers, our impression was these are not exactly head-to-head products. They're not really competitive. And I think uh, the market is starting to bear that out in some ways. Do you have a, a take on that? <laughs> yeah, so... I, and this is again another one of these really interesting things. I mean, like I said earlier, you know, early in technology, you know, innovation adoption cycles, people are a little bit unsure of where overlap is, and you have to wait for things to play out to see kind of how the, that's the case. And in NSX and ACI standpoint, I mean, what we've seen over the last year is both products are seeing great adoption. There are a number of customers that adopt both, and they're being largely applied to different use cases. And so I think you know Cisco is building a great business out of. It and, and we're doing the same thing. And so, you know, I certainly when I speak with the Cisco team, you know, we've kind of come to the conclusion that, you know, there's a lot of customer value here and there's a lot of customer value working together. And we're very focused on supporting the customers. And often the customers, and, I, you know, I just had this conversation last week, you know, it, it is a very common conversation. The customer's like, yeah, no, I mean, we actually view these as addressing separate problems or being applied in, in, in different use cases and environments. And so I think there's kind of been this false dichotomy that's been created. And I think a lot of it's a hold over from when we knew less about how people are using it. And and so, I mean, I think what you're going to continue to see is, you know, both NSX and ACR are going to continue to see adoption. I think you're going to see like any levels of overlap actually shrink over time. Now, and it's nice to see that, you know, certainly there's a lot of work that can be done on the physical fabric to improve physical fabric management and on the virtualized side, especially on the virtual edge, there's a lot of work there. And so, you know, I'm actually quite happy that, you know, the market seems to have segmented nicely to support both products. And I think that it's also a testimony to how large the market is out there. And so I think there's a lot of room for both of us to add a lot of value. And that seems to be where the connection is as customers are, are looking at this. You need network virtualization. NSX is a, a good way to do it that integrates very well with the virtualization environment they already have. Uh, but we also want a great network fabric to run it on top of. Ooh, we like Cisco ACI for all the reasons that you might like that. And then those are not, therefore, incompatible or mutually exclusive technologies. Yeah, no, that's great. That's right. And 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 even even recently, I mean, Cisco's been you know very clear and said publicly that you know uh, ACI is the best underlay to run um, under the NSX overlay. And in many ways, it can treat NSX like an application, which is is correct. So NSX will expose to the workload something that looks like a physical network that has the operational model of virtualization, but it can absolutely be um, managed um, like an application by the physical fabric for you know operations and management and performance perspectives. And so there's a very very natural line between the virtual and the physical layer, just like there is on the compute side. And so, you know, I'm quite happy that this is the way that things have played out because now we get to focus on both, you know, innovating and adding value to customers and less about, you know, what is the potential overlap and detriment to the business. So, Martin, another question here, I mean, since we're kind of talking about physical network stuff, I mean, one of the, the big things we've talked about with NSX is the distributed firewall and all of the management benefits you get out of that. Are we seeing other distributed components starting to pop up? Yeah, so I, I think this is actually a great segue from discussions of things like NSX versus ACI, where you know the, a lot of the value and the power of NSX is it sits within a hypervisor. And you know we're just now just beginning to take advantage of that position. So kind of, you know, our first go was, okay, you know, because we're on x86 and we have access to RAM, we're not at an aggregation point, so we don't have to do things at, you know, 48 
ports times 10 gigs, we only need to do them at 10 gigs or say 40 gigs, is that we can start doing stateful services and things that would be impossible to put in a top of rack switch. So we did, you know, we did a distributed firewall. We have announced a distributed load balancer. You know, we have uh, announced distributed network encryption, which is end-to-end encryption um, between any of workloads in the data center so that you can have a virtual network and it's end-to-end encrypted within the data center for all the east-west traffic. And so these are fairly straightforward applications of no network services, load balancer firewalling and encryption, but applied into the data center. So it applies to all traffic, you know, terabits of traffic, which is, you know, this is a, that's a huge improvement. It's something you can really only do from the edge. There's no way you're going to drop this in a switching chip. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's really the key here. You're doing this because you can do it at the virtualized network edge. You're not doing it in a switch. You're not doing it in a server. You're not cramming a bunch of traffic into some you know, massive firewall in the middle of the data center. You're putting all of the, you're making all of these functions happen in a distributed way at the virtual edge, spreading the load out across a bunch of different x86 CPUs. And uh, and then you can, as you said, at, at a single point, you don't have to do it more than 10 gig or maybe 40 gig. And so you can get that throughput as opposed to we have to shove you know 480 gig you know, through this box. You don't have to when you're distributed like that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly right. And so, so you know, to your point, you just get the immediate performance benefit of being able to do these things at terabits, which is kind of the what you would need to do to support east-west traffic, which is in the terabits. But then there's these additional benefits that we're just starting to take advantage of. Now, um, I'll give you two examples. One example is if you're in the hypervisor, you have a lot of additional context, right? You may be able to look in the guest to see how much data is outstanding to be able to label something as an elephant flow. Or perhaps you know the application so you can classify the traffic that way. Or perhaps you know the users so you can apply security policies independently. So again, because you know we're not in the network and only have access to packet headers, but we're in you know, what's effectively an operating system has visibility of an operating system, we could take advantage of that of additional semantics. The second thing, uh, which I didn't appreciate as much before, but now I really do, is you can actually make network services part of the resource provisioning model if you run it on the server. So one thing I can do is I can say, listen, we're going to do load balancing for east-west traffic within the data center. But what we're going to do is we're going to account you know, if, if we have a set of VMs using that load balancing, we can, from the server, do accounting based on the resources used by that load balancing. So we could say, oh, listen, so this, you know, this VM only gets this much of a load balancing set, or this application gets only this much of load balancing resources. So you can actually provision and do resource accounting at a very, very granular level because you're running it, you know, co-locating it on the same server. So if a VM is using more load balancing resources than it needs to, you can slow down that VM because you have this resource manager that can do it. So I think this allows you to do very, very fine-grained resource management as well. And so I mean, it, it, it's a net new layer that has net new capabilities um, that I think we're just starting to take advantage of now. So I think this is going to be a massive and exciting area of growth in 2007, uh, 2016. But we've got a real transition there. Networking people haven't typically said this service, this application that's on this server or this 200 servers runs a web farm, for example. It can have this much bandwidth and this much, you know, in this quality of service class and this much firewall and this much load balancing capacity because the end-to-endedness of these conversations never happened. The, the networking people were sort of right down the end of the poop sheet where once the deployment <laughs> was actually happening, you know, all of a sudden it'd be like, oh yeah, and the networking guys can... can figure a VIP and you'd be like, what? Your project's been running for nine months and now you tell me. Uh, This sort of stuff is much more direct, much more capable in a software environment or in a virtualized environment because you can just make the change. Maybe you provision the resources later. Like 
uh, say, for example, today, if you provision a load balancer, you need to make sure you've got the capacity and you have to buy it ahead of time because you need a physical unit. Well, actually, the project on day one might not use the load. You might deploy the load balancer and then have six months as they do something or another before the load's actually burning up the resources on the system so you know this ability to deploy it so they can do testing and piloting and then when the load comes on you have bought the assets ready for when time and place that's a much more efficient way of doing load balancing or encryption together and again because the vmware host has the metadata and presents that the operating system sits in a vm this applies to containers too by the way containers inside of vms and we had a, a show to talk about that right but if you think that the metadata that you can get from the vm so you know the vm name the vm where hypervisor can actually get data about what operating system it is how much cpu it's burning what you know software is installed on the container itself these things aren't available, haven't been available to networking people before, but now we can pull an API on the VMware and then pull the data in the networking part and bring the two together. And that's the unique difference, I think, that we're going to see in 2016 because now that we've established virtualization of the network, now that we've established software control of the network, now we've seen APIs being talked about, now we're starting to talk about big data. If I get all this data together and run it through uh, inverted commas, big data, you know, wafty, wafty, blah, 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 I can start to use analytics to analyze, hang on, all of these servers over here are doing this. Maybe I should start to change the way things in the network work because of the network, not because of the server farm. Things that are optimal for the server farm aren't necessarily optimal for the network. Let's change placement, load placement, and stuff like that. Now, that's still coming in the future, but that's the sort of technology trends that you need to visualize that you can do. Once you can program the network reliably using software instead of configuring it slowly and at risk, somebody somebody pointed that out to me the other day, they said their SDN environment is so much more stable that they're now making changes in the middle of the day, no longer on weekends in the evenings. So don't miss that. Are those trends, am I right on those trends, Martin? I think you said it actually very well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably a bit long-winded. No, no, I thought it was actually very good. I was going to jump in. I'm like, no, actually, like, this is actually, I think, of a, a, I think it's an accurate uh, view and it's a good synopsis. One last question. In the show with uh, Guido Appenzeller, we talked a lot about NSX everywhere. What does that mean to me? I mean, now that NSX is in the data center and we've got VMware and ESX and that's there, where, where does NSX go from there? Yeah, so this is a this is interesting. A lot of this came from actually, you know, customer demand, which is, I mean, I think that we're transitioning to a kind of a new era of IT. If you think about it, IT likes to kind of collapse and expand and collapse and expand. I mean, you had a mainframe, which was pretty collapsed. It expanded to client server. In cloud, it kind of collapsed again in data centers. And now we're seeing an expansion phase. And the expansion phase is, it's you know public clouds, it's IoT, it's mobile, um, you know. So we're just seeing this proliferation of devices, proliferation of endpoints, and so from the perspective of IT of a single company, they've got a lot of stuff to manage. They've got you know a number of public clouds all offering different services. They've got their own private internal data centers. They've got laptops. They've got you know potential Internet of Thing endpoint devices, and so what they've asked us to do is to say like NSX is great. We think this is the right operational model for the virtual networking layer. And, and, and I'll be very clear, this is the virtual networking layer, not the physical layer, but the virtual networking layer. We'd love to extend that same kind of security and management policy to all of our endpoints. Um, we'd like to extend it to mobile. So that's why we integrated with AirWatch. So if you're running AirWatch on your mobile phone, those security policies and the connectivity back to the data center can be managed by NSX. We've demonstrated you know, NSX um, running on AWS. And so you can basically have the same kind of security policy and management from your data center to your public cloud. Um, we've demonstrated this with containers. 
workers with physical workloads. And so a major focus of ours in 2016 is going to be ensuring that NSX can be provide a common substrate for management, for policy, and for security for any IT endpoint, no matter where they are. And this gives, again, IT the ability to control all of their assets during this expansive phase without limiting that expansion. I think the expansion phase is good. I think that this is being driven by real business technology trends. So we want to Well, the networking has to get there first. The big challenge with networking is we have to have a road from here to here before the expansion can happen. It's exactly like what it is in the real world. Towns don't grow until the road's been put in. And having that capability to integrate AWS with your existing private cloud infrastructure or your virtualization infrastructure means that you can then start to investigate the cloud, the public cloud, and probably find out how expensive it is or how bad it is, as well as the good features of it. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly correct. I agree. So what we're seeing then is this change from NSX being trapped inside and trapped is not really the right word, but you know, primarily deployed in the private data center where your ESX hypervisors are to move into this wherever it is. So you talked about Air Mobile, which is the handheld uh, smartphone tablet type thing, which is the MDM, mobile device management part of VMware. And then you've got the vCloud Air or whatever it's called this week because I keep forgetting the names mixed up. <laughs> and <it's> also, <laughs> sorry, that's a bit of a joke. <laughs> listen, I gonna, listen, like, um, you know, naming is a very important thing and names yep. change all the time. And even, you know, I uh, still, uh, even though I've been here three and a half years, like keeping up with the number of products and the evolution, uh, again, like, I think change is, is, is good. But, uh, <laughs> I understand. Change is great, but it's very difficult to track the handles. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have a translation manual for sure. I'm much better remembering the data in an architecture than the pointer to it, if you know what I'm saying. Sure. So <laughs> I, I guess I, I think that's interesting in the, the sense that, you know, NSX hasn't just said, okay, we're done here. This is it. Private cloud inside the data center. It's, it's moving on into thing, And that's basically where you see yourself growing to. That's right. And so, yeah, and, and, and just to kind of distill what you said, you're exactly right, which is like I've been and we have been as a team really maniacally focused on the data center, like focusing on the data, focusing on the data center. Um, but so much demand has been, you know, here are the common use cases. They're saying, oh, we want to do HA and DR between data centers. That's probably 10% of our users do that. Um, many, we want to apply NSX to VDI environments so that you can, you know, do security, uh, service and service in the VDI environments, huge attachment NSX to VDI departments. Um, uh, and yeah, those that use AirWatch on the mobile devices, like, yeah, I would love to have NSX extend the connectivity here and have the same security management model. Public cloud users, those that are integrating with uh, containers. And so even though we've been really focused on the data center, there's been so much demand to extend that same model to all of these endpoints. It's something that we're going to really put a lot of R&D behind um, in 2016. We actually already have in 2015, but it'll be a major focus of ours to expand NSX outside of just the data center um, due to this demand. Well, the network goes everywhere. It doesn't just exist in the data center. There's campus, there's wireless, there's mobile. I mean, the next generation of 5G networks is going to be, you know, the network doesn't stop at the edge of the physical premises anymore. It's far more elastic than we think. Well, I think that's just about it for the show today. I think we've probably talked as much as we need to to get this point across. Uh, so first of all, thanks to Martin Casado for joining us today. Martin, tell people where they can find you on the internet more widely. Uh, um, <laughs> the last time you asked me, I said the same thing. Actually, a Google search of my name is probably sufficient. So I'm Martin underscore Casado on Twitter. I've got a web page at Stanford. That's, I think, the top link if you search my name. So Near enough. And, of course, people can find you on the VMware website. Uh, you Mr. 
Mr. Banks, any closing thoughts? Well, I just kind of, I actually, I just opened Scrivener right this second to, to grab a hold of this idea about extending virtual networking everywhere. So if you want the same function that you've got inside the data center, some virtual network you've created to go other places, all the other places your network extends, that is a significant undertaking. And then uh, you know, what that actually looks like under the hood and so on is uh, is it, pretty interesting. How do I get this network that's virtual from here to somewhere else and then do it securely and easily and all the, so many moving pieces and cogs to it to make that happen? That's a uh, a major undertaking and one mm. that if it is solved well, I think is going to open up a number of use cases and networking design paradigms that we're going to see for a long time to come. In other words, it's one of those things that when you hear it uh, stated, it sounds like, yeah, that would be useful. And then you really think about it, it's like, no, that would be really, really useful. And it's <laughs> it's kind of a, a big deal. And so, yeah. yeah, it is one of those things. Uh, for me, I think the key topic takeaway for today's show was the idea that virtualization, network virtualization is well established and that the things that we're going to be looking forward into next year. And the key one is that NSX and ACI can actually work together. There's value in both. And for customers that want that, it's not necessarily either or. It can actually be a combination if that's of value to you. I hadn't actually thought about it in that sense that ACI makes a great fabric, which it certainly does. Hmm. But NSX makes a great SDN solution for, um, has its own features as well. And you might want to have both. Well, that's it uh, for today's show. And thanks for tuning in to the packet. Pushes. We should be back again in a week or so. Please make sure that you come back. Uh, thanks to everybody for joining us this week. We'd love to hear your feedback about today's show, so send email to packetpushes at gmail.com and let us know what you're thinking. Alternatively, check out the podcast website at packetpushes.net, leave comments, or follow us on the Twitter is at packetpushes. The blog post will contain links uh, to all the articles that we've referenced to the shows in the series that we've done with VMware, that VMware have sponsored, and also there's some unsponsored shows we've done this year. Uh, recently, I recorded a Future of Networking podcast with Martin to talk about what the future of networking looks like. This was not a, a VMware's thing. We were just talking, we just went completely unhinged and went woo, off the deep end into mm-hmm. dreaming up what the future might look like. Uh, that's definitely worth tuning into because we did get quite nerdy and quite deep. But as always, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>